and welcome. My name is Tim. I'm Axiel. And I'm Murphy Durfee. And this is Go Mode, a Link to the Past randomizer podcast. Episode 2, we're a show now, guys. Yay! Yay, we made it. <laughs> it's a show. It's not just one episode and an intro of a podcast. Episode 2, thanks to everybody uh, who listened to the first one and is now checking us out for episode 2. And if this is your first episode, then welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Um, let's just jump. Uh, sorry, I, I want to give you guys an opportunity to say something as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to give shout outs to my uh, my grandma. You know, we said, you know, make sure your grandma listens. And uh, I called her up. I said, Grandma, guess what? I got a video game podcast. And she said, why don't you call me anymore, Axial? I'm an old lady. <laughs> And I said, you're right, Grandma. I'll call you more if you listen to my podcast. So what did she have to say about it? Uh, she wondered why we all uh, talk about video games so much. Mm. <laughs> I wonder that sometimes, too, if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> yeah, the reception from my grandma wasn't so great, but, you know, she's yeah. a few feet under the earth. So Same. I was going to say the same thing. Well, not exactly the same thing, but yeah, no, no grandmas to share this cast with. But um, yeah, I, I did have some some real life friends uh, check it out, and I thought that was cool. So yeah, yeah, I heard we uh, on Twitter were starting to get people commenting and uh, about the episode, so that's awesome. Thank you, everybody who did that. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you guys so much. And uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, email at gomodepodcast dot com or on Twitter, gomod uh, at gomodepodcast. So. Thank you, guys. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into our news. I want to pass it over to Herfie Durfee. Uh, he has been commentating this 2018 summer tournament. So wanted to get a little update uh, how things are going. Yeah, sure. So um, the qualifiers are slowly starting to wrap up. I'm not 100% sure. I want to say today is the last one. We're recording this Saturday. Yes, yeah, Saturday. 25th. And um, after this, we're going to move on into the next round of matches. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see who actually managed to get out of the qualifiers because even though at first uh, the idea was to not let people know who is in the qualifiers so they would sign up without you know trying to metagame the whole thing, uh, it very, very soon turned into... Okay, I'll just hang out on the SRL IRC and see who joins the race, and then maybe decide if I want to do the qualifier or mm. if the if my competition is like too, you know, too hardcore for me. Mm -hmm. People have been yeah. metagaming the qualifiers pretty heavily, I would say. Yeah, that's uh, the metagaming the qualifier. I mean, the whole idea of it would be you want to kind of think of it like a regular season and then a tournament. And you have these qualifiers as a regular season, and if you get to say, uh, I don't really want to do the one that Andy's doing, uh, it kind of defeats <laughs> the purpose of doing a qualifier. Yeah, so there have been some people, I've, I've read some opinions around just kind of on the internet, and I have to admit I sort of share a little bit of the opinion, but I want to come at this in a constructive, you know, positive feedback sort of way. So Yeah, same uh, here. So they, they only have so many times for these qualifiers. They, you know, they, they have these matches, and if you can jump into them. Um, uh, Axel, what time did you say they were? I think, and, and you guys can you know, tweet, tweet at us if we're wrong and email us, but I believe most of the times are at 9 p.m. EDT and 2 p.m. EDT. And I know for me, uh, you know, the ones that are at 2 p.m. EDT, sometimes they're on the weekday, sometimes they're on the weekend, but... Uh, I'm at work on the weekdays, yeah. and then the 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. EDT ones. Usually, I'm I'm thinking, all right, I if I do this, and it's a two-hour one, it's 11 o'clock, and you know, kind of weighing if it's even worth entering. I I know I promised uh, people in the first couple episodes that I was going to be in it, and uh, I just haven't had time to enter any of them because it, with only being able to do four, I've had to really think. All right, I don't want to say I'm going to do it and then pull out because uh, you, you can only do that once. And uh, I also don't want to have a situation where I'm like, all right, well, it's I'm pretty tired now and uh, I'm not playing my best. So I just have not entered at all. I, I am kind of waiting for the next round to start watching and following it. But, uh, you know. But... Yeah. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. And I also agree as far as I'm aware, and I'm kind of aware since I commentated a few of them, um, the times are only 2 p.m. and 9 p.m. EDT, as you were saying. Um, the 
I'm, I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit and be on SG's side here and explain what their reasoning was. They said... Please. Yes, absolutely. They said you must uh, take part in four of the qualifiers and um, basically, or the gist of it is basically, they said, alright, uh, we know that the times are limited, but to make up for that we're gonna have a lot of them. So they had 24 or 25 or 26 maybe even qualifiers. And you had to participate in four of them. Yeah, I think it was like they promised to do at least one every day. And I think on the weekends they did two and nine EDT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much like that. Yeah, so to your point, I mean, I, I think that is pretty reasonable of them to say, look, you have to do four. We're going to do 28 of these. You know, it's basically you have to enter a little little less than one eighth of them. You, If you're really committed, you can find the time. Uh, yeah. And and there has to be, you know, there's some give and take here on this. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be able to participate, it's at the end of the day, they're the ones running things. And it's like, well, if this is what they say and, and you want a shot at that cash prize, then you just have to go along with it. And and I think you guys bring up good points, too. It's like, what? how else could they possibly do this? You know, in the last tournament, they had these Swiss rounds and you know, dozens and dozens of games every single day. And it was almost kind of like overload, you know, especially from a viewer standpoint, it was like, there's too many to even watch, even though there's some really great ones in there. So I, I don't really know what the solution is or, or how they would do this any better. But I, I feel the same way as you, I, you know, I feel bad because I said like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. But I, I can't with I can't just can't make those times work. You know, a lot of what I have to do with randomizer I have to kind of make it work into my already pretty busy life. And even with a tournament setting, it's easy to reach out to one other person and check their schedule and find a time when you're both available. So I don't really know what the solution yeah, to this is. I had one idea, and uh, this is this is one that I've, you know, as a former Ultimate Frisbee player, uh, one thing that Ultimate Frisbee would always do is you'd have these tournaments that were enormous, like 200 teams, and it's impossible to do any kind of... Uh, real real way of getting everybody to play so they would go to kind of the world cup strategy of saying look we're going to try to seed people and then make groups based on seeds and you play everybody in the group and then we'll take the top two or three out of the group now there's a big problem with randomizer in doing that though is that a lot of new people how do you seed them are they at the top they can't obviously be at the top probably the middle isn't fair either the mid-level people and at the bottom you know, then they're going to be going up against Huge the Andes and Christos of the worlds. Um, yeah. So you, it's, you know, I really feel for the tournament organizers because there's a lot of solutions on the table, but all of them have some pretty big drawbacks. I think they've done the best uh, at trying to say, look, we're going to try different things. We tried Swiss. We saw some problems with that. We're going to try an alternate thing. You know, maybe the next, uh, you know, SG tournament, they try something else. Uh, you know, I, I give them credit for being creative. I think it's a good idea. Absolutely. So, and, and I'm still looking forward to once we do get into the bracket stages, I know it's going to be a, a great watch just like it always is. So, you know, it's a shame I didn't get to participate, but we do have other tournaments. That's right. And then, you know, even if the tournament isn't, uh, you know, an SG tournament or one that, uh, you know the randomizer devs themselves are uh, are putting on and, and uh, supporting there are tons of little small ones out there uh like the one that uh, i myself have been playing in that uh, the uh, something awful uh, uh randomizer community has put together and it's been pretty exciting so far the setup of it it's 24 players with a a swiss a five round swiss stage and then taking the top eight into the finals and uh, i started oh and two managed to come back to two and two and i've got a win or go home match. well maybe win and mm -hmm. go up forward or lose and go home match uh this week and uh, it's been pretty exciting playing in a, a smaller tournament where i actually you know know you know know in quotes internet know uh all the participants and i'm able to watch and it's it's just got kind of a cozy homey feel versus the uh you know big budget professional kind of tournaments that speed gaming and uh the randomizer devs themselves have put on it's just a it's a nice uh nice change of pace yeah so i'm participating in this tournament as well now i'm i'm actually curious herf do you, uh, you you're you're not participating in this tournament but you are someone involved in the you know something off a community that's how we met what has been your perception of this tournament as sort of an outsider 
I absolutely think it's awesome that we've got our own little tournament, if you want to call it that, going on. And uh, I really think it's it's so far from... I have to admit to my own shame that I really haven't been following it at all. Mm-hmm. So I know very little about it, but from what I've uh, noticed, it's organized very well, and it's handled very well, and there haven't been any extreme drama bombs or craziness going on. And uh, I, I think it's awesome. I would rather participate in a little community-run tournament like this than in another 512-people massive crazy tournament where you kind of already know, you know, you're one out of 512 and you're probably not even going to make it out of the Swiss rounds. Yeah. Yeah, and I know there's lots of other, you know, not tiny, but smaller communities out there. Like there's a, I think, a Reddit community and it's probably got a couple hundred people. Uh, There probably are groups on Twitter, Tumblr, other social networks that are uh, not the, the big you know, behemoth that uh, the main uh, speed gaming and randomizer groups are. So if you guys are in those communities out there listening to this and you think this sound, these small tournaments sound pretty cool, uh, go put one together. It's pretty easy. You just get some people to volunteer. You go on challenge and uh, just put everybody in and it'll set you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I, I have to give uh, huge shout outs to um, Axial mentioned that it's an essay community uh, something awful community effort and we do have some volunteers but really uh, the op of the thread um and organizer of the tournament uh, goes by the name nep nep and just got to give huge shout outs to him uh, for you know conceptual conceptualizing all of this and putting it together and running it and uh just you know being really thoughtful in putting together the rules and the layout and um you know really really well run tournament and it's small but it, it is it's been very gratifying and a lot of fun and we usually have two or three folks watching just about every single race and live commenting, and it's it's just really neat. Yeah, and I will say for you know small folks out there who want to do a small tournament like this, one of the great things you can do is you can try gimmicks that are probably a little too risky to do in a big tournament. The one that we've done, and I think people have really enjoyed, is it you know it's set up in the Swiss stages that if both opponents agree, they can ban a glitch. And while you might say, okay, that's kind of silly, you can get some really interesting things happening. Like if both players agree to ban fake flippers, all of a sudden the routing around Lake Hylia is a lot different. Yeah. Yeah, there hasn't been too much utilization of that. It's It's been mostly, uh, that column in the spreadsheet has been mostly used for memeing. Um, but I would love to see somebody actually you know, implement some of those and, and really get some, some thinkers of some seeds in there. So. Yeah, well, you know, Tim, if you and I end up matched up in the uh, in the final round of the Swiss tournament, uh, I feel like we owe it to the viewers here or listeners here yeah. to uh, to think of a, a cool uh, glitch band to yeah. put in. We'll either do something, we'll come up with something silly, or, or maybe we'll put it to the community and they can, you know, maybe they have some suggestions. But we are um, potentially going to be uh, facing one another on the battlefield. So yeah, it'll be a, we're, be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have the same record now. We're both two and two, uh, and the next round is being announced pretty soon. And it's really good chance we could be playing each other. So we'll we'll be sure to report back and let everybody know how that goes if it happens. Yeah, my uh, oh, man. My last thought on on this is I want to shout out to again the tournament organizer. You know, we're going to have one match that results in someone never getting you know being zero and five, and the other person being one and four. And as an encouragement to both players to play that match out, uh, we're going to try to do a full-on restream with commentators and all that. So uh, I want to give a shout-out to the you know the OP who came up with that idea. And I think, you know, if you guys out there are putting together your other small tournaments, I think it's really nice if you try to do something like that for the people at the bottom of the bracket. Those tend to be the newer players, the ones that maybe don't feel as confident in their skills and getting the support like that can really turn them from someone who gets discouraged and doesn't want to play anymore to someone who says, wow, this community is really, really helpful and really supportive. I want to still be a part of this, even though I didn't necessarily play my best. Yeah. Not to mention, and this is exactly what I did. My, my first exposure to uh, having someone commentate, actually uh, Axial was, was one of the first people who commentated a, a race that I'd done. And it was the first round of the SA tournament. I went up against uh, a, a guy in the community by the name of Hyphenated, um, who's a pretty serious randomizer streamer, and shout-outs to him. He destroyed me, but by being able to go back and watch him alongside my own run and listen back to commentary, 
uh, commentary, which the commentators were kind enough to record locally and then send over so I could kind of, you know, sync all of it together on my end and watch it. Uh, I thought about posting it to YouTube and then I thought better of it. Uh, but for <laughs> for my own personal viewing, it, it was uh, very educational, very helpful to go back, almost, almost kind of like a football player to go, you know, study the tapes and see how you can do better. Yeah, I mean, if you guys out there are, are in tournaments or you do, you know, you find a friend and you do a head-to-head matchup, see if you can get a copy of the other person's playthrough because I've Absolutely. done that myself and watched and said, oh my God, it's amazing to see the routing choices we both made and sometimes we were in sync and sometimes we were going different directions and that can be a way if you watch a lot of your own tape you can figure out hmm you know i seem to have a tendency to go for example and do shovel when maybe i shouldn't be doing that yeah all right uh herf do you have any final thoughts one thing I do want to mention, if you are in a community that is running a small tournament and you feel like you could use some more exposure, feel free to contact us. I don't think we're above shouting out your tournament or telling people a little bit about your community. Yeah, I will I will retweet that every single day of the week, and, and we would love to give you a shout-out on the, on the cast here, so absolutely. Um, guys, do you know what time it is now? What time is it, Tim? It's time to make the Eastern play. Let's go. Uh, episode two, we are moving on to the second dungeon of Vanilla A Link to the Past. After you finish the what some would call tutorial stage, getting through Castle Escape, world opens up to you a little bit, and you find your way over to Eastern Palace. In A Link to the Past Randomizer, it's actually a pretty similar situation. Since it's first in the Vanilla game, uh, there's not a lot required to get in there. So right off the bat, you're looking at a location where when you head over there, you have three items in Sahasrila's closet. Uh, be sure to bring a bomb. Don't forget that bomb, like I have, have in the past. But you bring along a bomb, you get three items right there. Then you run over to Eastern Palace, and there's items in there for you as well, three of them um, that you can get with very few items, almost no items, uh, and just a little bit of darkroom knowledge. I'm going to try to define the Eastern play. This is something, if you've watched some races, you've heard commentators say, oh, I think he's going to make the Eastern play. It's not as simple as saying the Eastern play is just going to Eastern Palace. I think it usually implies either you're not going to be able to complete it because you don't have the bow, which you need to get into the final boss room, uh, or there's not a crystal to be gained from it. You're merely dipping it. You're going in just to get the items and you're leaving. I would define that as the Eastern play. So I want to ask you guys, when do you make the Eastern play and how do you decide when it's time to do that? Uh, so as for me, it first of all, it depends on what mode I'm playing. That's the first distinction okay. I want to make, standard or open. Um, let's say I'm doing both the same things in standard and open. Usually my first Eastern play will happen uh, after all the escape that you usually go through in standard. I go through the Lost Woods and Kakariko. Um, I think the Eastern play for me comes very late in the early checks if I don't find a bow anywhere. Hmm. So if I happen upon a bow in uh, Kakariko or South Shore, I definitely go there. If I don't find anything, it, it's definitely coming after Kakariko and South Shore. Yeah, for me, it, it depends, too, on the opponent I'm playing. If I'm playing someone that I feel is a stronger player than me, I tend to be a little more gambly, thinking, you know, if I try to if I go, you know, beat for beat with them, they probably are going to out-execute me, and I've got to get lucky. So if I'm playing someone that I think is better, I might, I usually am going to think Eastern as soon as I'm done with the Kakariko checks. Otherwise, just like Herf's saying, it's going to depend on when that bow shows up. Yeah, it's all about the bow for me, especially. And if you have the bow, no reason not to go in there. You know that you're not going to miss out on any items because there's always a chance that Armos Knight has that final item. And if you don't have the bow, you have to leave. And God forbid you have to come back and, you know, with the bow later on and kill Armos and get that that crucial item that you needed before. So you, you always want to avoid double dipping at, at all costs. Uh, another time, you know, if say I do have the bow... Uh, I'm going to be a lot more likely to dip if it's a pendant, if it is that green pendant. Um, 
as we know, once you do collect the green pendant, you can turn that into Sahasrila, who conveniently is right next door. And in that race that I was just talking about uh, versus hyphenated in the SA tournament, uh, Eastern was a green pendant. There was an early bow. Both of us went over there pretty much immediately, killed Armos, got the green pendant, turned it in, and got a hook shot, which obviously was a game changer. So, Yeah, the, the pendant versus crystal on Eastern is a, a big it's not as much of a distinction as on other temples you know if you're you're looking at pendant tr uh, turtle rock that is you're probably going to try to put off doing that one pendant eastern eastern is a pretty quick clear and you can get most of the items without having to go too too deep into it so oh at least for me i try not to consider pendant versus crystal when i'm debating going into eastern it's more about the items i have and the overall whether i'm feeling ahead behind or on pace cool okay so let's let's assume now that we are going to head over there uh as we're talking about each of these dungeons in this series that we're doing i think it's going to make a lot of sense to designate uh go mode versus full clear so let's start with full clear because that is obviously every time that's going to take more action and we're going to be describing more room strategies and things. So let's let's assume we're doing a full clear. We need as many items as possible. As I said before, one really cool thing about Eastern is you need very little to actually go in. In fact, even an item or even a way to attack is not even required because every room that requires you to kill an enemy has pots in it for you to be able to open the door with the exception of uh, getting through to the boss which i mentioned you do have to have a bow to do that but even without a sword or without a hammer you can still go in and collect these three items as long as you know your dark room yeah and that is one point to make before we dive too deep into this is we are making the assumption here that you are able to do the dark room now we're going to talk through how to complete that dark room but if you haven't tried doing eastern dark and there is some you know some strategy required especially in the back half um you know i would say practice that because it, doing the front half of eastern dark is a huge time save the back half we'll get into when we talk about the back half but exactly okay so let's start at the very beginning and right off the bat i'm going to give a huge shout out to someone else want to try to take yeah, a stab it, at that name it's like c a i'll just spell it out it's yeah. c h I-R-A-L-I-T-Y, and their Twitch.tv username is A-C-H-I-R-A-L-I-T-Y. I I read that as chirality or achirality, but if I'm wrong, uh, I apologize. (laughs) Yeah, chirality. I was looking at... So they have uploaded to Imager um, under the name Kiral Dopa, but they have made some really helpful guides that are pretty much doing our job for us for Eastern Palace, Desert Palace, Tower of Hera, and Thieves Town. Um, really awesome graphics that show you the exact route to take in full clear versus go mode. Uh, little tips about all the rooms. It's great. So we're pretty much just going to read this <laughs> read this off to you and, and sprinkle some things in. Huge shout outs to them and uh, thank you so much for creating this resource. So as you walk in, um, if you've ever played vanilla, really those first two rooms don't even bear any explanation. Just blow right through them. Now, then we get to the cannon room, and that does. Uh, there's a little bit of discussion to be had here. There is one item here, so you got to dodge the cannonballs, go up the stairs, get the item, and then go back up through the top of the room. What's your guys' strategy here? What's the fastest way? So it's interesting because the my strategy here is not the fastest way, and I just learned that when I was doing the research for this podcast. Um, when you go in and you grab that item, so you, you, know, you walk past all the bowling balls, and then you go up the stairs and you get the item, it is actually always faster to jump down so long as you don't get hit by any of the cannonballs. And I've actually noticed if you dawdle a bit too long, say you like take some time to pick up those pots, which one of them does have at least a blue rupee, you know, so if you're trying to make your Zora money, you might do something like that. If you wait too long, a giant cannonball will come and it, it, it's pretty much unavoidable unless you go in one of those little holes, which wastes a ton of time. So going fast uh, through this room can actually save you even more time because you'll beat the cycle of that giant cannonball coming. I I can't tell you exactly when it comes, but just know that if you move fast enough, you won't even have to worry about it. 
All right, so we finished that room. Uh, you walk through. Again, we're going to assume that you're doing a full clear, which means you are going to take a right here, and you're going to go over and get item number two. Uh, real quick note about this path over here. It's really fast. If you have very few items, you just go up to the top room. Uh, you'll make it into a room with an anti-fairy. You pick up that uh, pot in the middle, hit the button, and then you go over uh, to the room below it. You get your item. But if you have the hook shot, you can go straight to the bottom room instead and use the treasure chest as a uh, hookshot point to just jump right over and grab that item. Doesn't save a ton of time, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, so. Herf, have you uh, have you ever gone down below without the hookshot? Because I've done that at least a dozen times and said dope and had to walk back out. Uh, I think what happens to me more often than that is I go up while having the hookshot. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. right, I could have saved myself yeah. the room. Oops. Yeah, yeah. That that's the better mistake to make of the two, though. Fair. Yeah, and like I said, it really doesn't save that much time, but it's it's one of those things that it's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. I've, I've played this game before, yeah, so if, that's cool. If you play and you show up somebody who knows the game but doesn't necessarily know the randomizer strats or speedrun strats, they'll go, oh, that's really impressive. Yeah, so don't forget about that. So go ahead and collect that item. you got to head back the way you came. You're, you're going to be really hoping that you have the boots when you go across this main room because otherwise it's just a long boring walk so walk across there's another room with some staffos just ignore them you know if they're getting in your way maybe a quick slash these are the kind that'll jump out of the way and not throw a bone at you so it's it doesn't take too much time to just slash get them out of your way now this next room is fun it's really cool it's probably my favorite room of the dungeon um does one of you guys want to describe the the quick strat the fast way to get through this the idea or the gist of the whole thing is there's supposed to be four stealth of spawning into that room and the spawn point of those is fixed or centered around where you position link first you go up grab that pod act like you don't even care and then you walk around a little bit, and then you throw a pot, and suddenly a stealth host explodes, and you're like, wait, what yeah. happened? <laughs> so when you take an exact path in that room, you know exactly where two of those stealth hosts will spawn, while also having the benefit of uh, making two of them despawn, or spawn, one spawns in a wall, and the other one spawns into a pot, which means the game doesn't know what to do with them and doesn't even put them on the map, so you're already saving yourself two stealth hosts. And when you know where the other two are going to spawn, you're able to throw the pots at them before they even spawn. Because this wonderful game doesn't have a Z-axis, but still has enemies that are <laughs> falling from the ceiling. Uh, you can manage to throw a pot at nothing and hit a stealth host that's supposedly hanging from the ceiling. So cool. And when you pull it off, you just feel like like you're, like you're really good at the game. Just you, know, you, you kill them before they even spawn. You despawn two of them. And you just walk right through the door. Yeah, the, the real trick to it is it almost is like you go up to where the door is and then you do kind of a U-shape to get to get it. I have I've never pulled off getting both of the uh, the kills before they spawn, but I have been able to despawn pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has felt pretty luck-based for me in the past because, you know, you're watching, you've seen people do it. Uh, you try to just sort of imitate what they do. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't doesn't, but you don't know why you're doing it, right? So I definitely recommend, and we'll link this this document we've been talking about. They've got a really great uh, visualization of the path that you need to take in order to make this work. So, uh, But it's, it's really not that hard once you figure out how to do it. And like I said, sometimes you'll even just sort of luck out if you're imitating what you've seen before. Um, but it's definitely a big time, uh, time save because you have these stealthos spawn and you know how annoying they are to kill. They're going to jump all over the room. Fortunately, you have some pots, which makes your life a little easier, but... Yeah, you definitely will save yourself some time if you can get this quick kill. Um, okay, so if you had your hook shot out from before, you get another chance to use it just real quick and a little bit, little tiny speed strat. You can, uh, as you walk into the next room, you'll see a treasure chest. Use the hook shot, just zip right over to it and open that up. That is item location number three. So remember, there's three items here. Just make sure you're keeping track of them. Yeah, and it's possible at this point that you will have all three items. So mm -hmm. if you have that, um, you know, obviously don't go looking for that compass or map. Absolutely, yeah. That That's why you count your items, really, at the end of the day. It's so that 
you don't have to do any more than is absolutely required for you to check the items and collect the crystal if 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 applicable so you know keep track of that this might have the item it might have a big key it could be a map or a compass so um keep track of that if it does if you do happen to get a big key in one of these first three spots uh as you walk your way to the right there eventually you're going to walk into kind of the main room of the dungeon that has the big chest go ahead and check that one um at this point uh hopefully you know your dark rooms because if you do you'll be able to go and check one more item location this is the vanilla big key that we're on our way to get but you're going to walk to the right uh, head down to the bottom of the room and as you go through this door down here the room if you don't have a lamp is going to get really dark oh my god what do i do yeah so this is our uh, our first big dark room explanation and i i will say that uh if you're going to try doing dark rooms, I think even the, the, the best players out there are going to say it's really, really difficult if you don't have a sword or a hammer or a boomerang or a hookshot or something that you can use to at least get an idea of where you are on the uh, particular tile you're at. So if you've got the sword, charge it up and you'll see that uh, Link or whatever sprite you're using holds that sword out in front of themselves and you'll you can use that to figure out your relative position. Mm -hmm. and really this is definitely one of the easiest ones to learn so that's very helpful but just looking at a map the the thing that i find about these dark rooms that makes them so much easier is they're each one screen so if you know what it looks like you have a pretty good idea of where link is especially if you have that sword like axial was saying or, or something else to help you see your position but just looking at a map you know, going to somewhere like Rando Guide or uh, Ian Albert's website. Shout out to Ian Albert. He made maps of all of these rooms and uh, put them up for fair use, for free use for whoever wants to use them. So um, just look at a map and take a look at what it looks like. You'll see that you need to, you've got a couple anti-fairies chasing you, which conveniently are fully visible in the dark room. Uh, you're going to head over to your right until you hit a wall. You're going to head down. You're going to go a little bit past halfway and you're going to hear a and that is you hitting a pressure plate and opening the door that you just walked by. So you walk back up north about, you know, five feet, very small amount. And then you take a right and you're in the next room so that you've already got the first room down. It's very quick. Um, what do you guys like to do uh, in terms of strats of finding this uh, key under a pot in this next room? Um, I personally really just uh, go into the door. And once you manage to walk out of the door, uh, just press up. And as you can see on the little picture that we're looking at here, right above the door is a pot that stops you when you're walking up in the perfect position. So you just walk up a little bit and your link or whatever sprite you're using will get stuck on that pot. And then all you have to do is walk to the right. Of course, the stealth hose in there can sometimes mess you up a little bit because they don't care where you're walking. They're uh, very rude skeletons. But if you manage to get all the way to the right, all you have to do is turn back, you know, facing upwards press a a bunch to lift up that pot and grab that key and then you just go back to the left and then if you press left and down diagonally you'll just slide into the door and be right out of there again perfect nice and easy so yeah definitely take time to learn this because like i said before if you're not able to get through these rooms and go across the hall and check this uh next item location you could miss out on something really important it's definitely worth learning this particular sequence break so yeah. And this is probably the, sec I would say overall the sec easiest or second easiest dark room to do. Um, I know when I was learning my dark rooms, the first one I learned was the old man because that one is very easy. Also very uh, important, yeah. Um, but this one is, again, you don't even necessarily need an, a, a sword or, uh, or something to complete this. If you have a hammer, if you've got a boomerang or hookshot or even the bow, um, you can use that to guide yourself through and you, you after you do it a few times you get the muscle memory down mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really a lot less uh threatening than it seems at first i know that i was hugely scared of dark rooms when i started playing rando because it's you know it's a completely dark room if you're lucky you might be seeing some of the enemies like the anti-fairies but other than that you're not seeing anything but exactly. it's as Axiel was just saying, you you do it two or three times and you kind of get the muscle memory down. Okay, how long do I have to walk to the right? How long do I have to walk down? Uh, okay, there's an enemy in the way that hits me, so that means I'm close to the push button and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, great, we did it. 
So uh, make your way out of the dark room, uh, head down and then across another very long, boring hallway that will make you wish you have the boots. Uh, head into the next room and there's a there's a cool little strat to go ahead and uh, quickly do what needs to be done in here does one of you guys want to tackle this the the damage boost i mean i can if xel doesn't mind i don't yeah, want to go ahead, grab right? all the don't want to grab all the things <laughs> you got the knowledge man drop it on us nah. all right so <laughs> the general idea of this room is as i'm sure you know if you've ever played vanilla you're supposed to kill all the enemies in the room and once you do all the four anti-fairies that circle that center pot that's in there uh, disperse around the room and then you can lift up the pot push the little button under it and make the vanilla big key chest appear now what we do in both nmg speedrunning and in rando is you walk into the room and walk down a little bit and there's an pretty much exactly one tile wide gap between one of those blue whatever things i really i should learn the name of these at some point in my oh those the um tentacle <laughs> monsters yeah mm-hmm so these blue little guys, uh, you walk in that little one tile gap and you walk straight up into the blue guy and damage boost yourself, which gives you a couple of iframes. And uh, it, it might take a little bit of practice. I can't get it done 100% of the time, but usually you have enough iframes to run over and walk through those anti-fairies circling the pod so you don't get damaged at all. Lift it up. And even though you can't push uh, buttons on the floor while you're in iframes, the iframes stop for long enough for you to push that button and get damage boosted out of that anti-fairy circle uh, before they disperse and you don't even have to kill any of the enemies. So you basically manage to make the pot appear and save a whole ton of time and a lot of frustration chasing those stealth folks around. Yeah, and yeah. One, one alternate you can do here, and this is what I do because I can never seem to get the tentacle dude to hit me correctly, is you can just walk into the anti-fairy and sacrifice a little bit of health and magic and just spam a to pick up the pot yeah obviously that takes a little bit more health but i mean we're talking like one more heart maybe even half a heart honestly if you, if you get it on that first hit so i definitely have you know out of desperation or because i failed the damage boost strat just kind of done that it's really not too bad um obviously you always want to be careful of your health and your magic but don't 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 like leave or anything just because you you missed that don't leave and come back just go ahead and get it um alternately of course if you happen to find the uh magic cape just pop that on you can just walk right over and hit it very easily um i think the blue cane can one of you guys confirm or, or deny that um i'm not 100 percent sure to be honest yeah, I, I'm I think not either it either. should work I've never well, tried blue cane with that. I've only ever tried the uh, the cape, which obviously works. Cape works just fine, yeah. Yeah, the cape works just fine. Uh, I would say even if the blue cane does work, you probably don't want all that lag. True, yeah. And uh, it, it does take a while to take. And also, you would have to go get it out and then put it out, you know, put it away to get your arrow arrow out here in a second, your your bow out. So, yeah, I probably not even worth it to use the blue cane. But the cape works quite nicely if you have that, so... Just another option. Uh, now, at this point, you will absolutely have the big key. You will have found it at some point. That's the logic at work. There's, you have to have been able to find that at this point. So go ahead and go north. Uh, push that block. Uh, don't use a mirror. Don't use a mirror to try to despawn that block because <laughs> you're in a dungeon and you will go to the beginning. So uh, don't do that. Um, so you make a way back up, back into that main room and through the big key door and... Uh-oh, somebody turned out all the lights in here too. Yeah, this. so we talked about the first dark room here and how that's one of the first ones you definitely want to try learning. This one, though, is maybe one of the last ones you want to try learning, and it's because of that, Igor, that green Igor enemy and uh, how difficult it can be to hit him. Mm -hmm. So the strat that is described on this document and, and definitely what works for me is... Uh, hopefully you've been able to stock up on arrows you wouldn't be coming into this room unless you had the bow so we're going to assume you got that um, as soon as you walk in you're going to start shooting arrows uh, in fact strafing with a, a charged spin shot would probably be the best way to go so shoot an arrow in front of you you'll probably hit a tentacle monster and just kind of start inching over to the right and eventually you're going to see your bow your arrows just kind of uh, pause and what they're actually doing is they're hitting the igor and freezing there but that's telling you that you've hit it. So now you've located it, and you can kind of use that arrow as a tracker. 
uh, because you can see the arrow in the dark room, but you can't see the Igor. So the arrow is going to kind of be your cursor to show you where the Igor is. Once you've eliminated the tentacle monsters in front of it and you've found the Igor by putting the arrow in it, you just want to step close enough to that to where you wake it up, take a quick step back, you'll see it start walking towards you. Two arrows uh, into the eye will kill it. Walk directly in front of you, pick up the key that it just dropped, listen for that key chime, go all the way north, uh, head to the left. You might have a pot or two in your way, so just be ready to you know kind of spam A to get rid of those. And uh, if you're pressing up and moving left, eventually you'll hear that click of the door unlocking with the key that you just collected, and you're you're in the clear. You're out of the dark room. Another thing that you can do, uh, and this is really great advice for any dark room, if you don't have the lamp but you do have the fire rod, look around and see if there is a uh, a torch in there for you to light. This room does have two torches immediately to the left and the right when you walk in. So if you want to just shoot a quick uh, fire rod shot to either direction, it'll partially illuminate the room and you'll be able to see what you're doing just fine. So don't forget about uh, being able to light dark rooms if you have a fire rod. Yeah, the only trick on that is you need to walk up just a little bit because if you throw it right as you walk out the door, it's going to hit the side of the lamp or the uh, torch and not the actual part that lights. Hmm, good call, yeah. Um, so you make your way up through there. We're on our way to Armos Night. These rooms are pretty self-explanatory. The only thing I would say that really needs to be mentioned, I guess two things. In a room where you see three Igors, uh, if you've ever watched anyone play this game, you see... You've seen the way to do this. You just kind of angle yourself down to the left as if you're going to collide with the bottom Igor. You actually hit a pressure plate that is immediately north of him, uh, and then you walk through the door. So that's easy. The next room has four pressure plates, which is, again, if you've, if you've even played the vanilla version of this game, you know that you just hit the top left one. So that's easy. Uh, I, I've always wondered, are these cannonballs in here randomized as well? Um, not by the randomizer, but they're just generally RNG. Oh, van- vanilla rando. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So, uh, yeah, you hit that, walk through the door. Uh, you've got another one of those rooms where you have to kill all the enemies. You have two annoying Stalfos and a red Igor, which uh, is one of the reasons that you have to have the... I, it's the reason you have to have the bow. The only thing that can damage this enemy is the bow. So if you don't have that, you can't kill it. You can't get through this door. You just wasted your time going to try and check. So uh, you probably already have the bone arrow out. I like to dispatch these staffos with the bone arrow. I just find it to be a little bit easier. You're you're about to get some arrow refills in the next room. What what do you guys do to try to get through this room fast? I, I personally am a pot guy. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it mm. just I love using pots on the staffos. Um, but if you miss with the pot, then yeah, you should go to arrows because trying to hit these guys with a sword can take a bit. Yeah. Yeah, don't get caught doing that. I, I've definitely done that out of frustration where you're like, oh, I'll just get him with a quick slash. Oh, I missed. All right, I'm just going to go chase him down. You know, that, that wastes a lot of time. If, if you're getting to that, then you should really pick up a pot and throw it at him. Um, or, you know, again, arrows or some other projectile because they, they don't dodge those. So Yeah, especially if you start chasing them around, eventually the red Igor will get in on the action and then it gets really chaotic. So true. Yeah, so just try to dispatch these guys quickly. Um, in the next room, actually, before you walk through the next room, um, you probably want to charge up a spin slash on your way. Um, once you walk through, you'll see that there are six tentacle monsters. You're going to have about a second or two before they move at all. So the idea is you want to run right into the middle of them and let go of that spin slash and it should kill all six of them in one fell swoop and make you feel extremely cool. Yeah, and then at that point you have two red Igors and for all the fun you had with doing one, now you have to deal with two. And the strat for that, that I use at least, is I go, I activate them and then go very quickly, shoot left, shoot right, shoot right, shoot left. And if you do it fast enough, you should be able to get both of them before they close their eyes again. When you go up and activate them, do you then take a step back so they don't run into you? I do. do you I, not... okay. I take one step back because I typically, uh, I'm not super, super good at execution yet. And uh, taking that one step back makes it so if they hit me, I'm they're not, or rather they're not going to hit me. But if you stay right there, there's a good chance that the second one might hit you by the time you hit the first one. 
Yeah, I, I have to take a step back or else I won't hit them. And I usually do. I don't know if this is really the fastest way, but the way that I handle them is I wake up both of them, take a step back, sh- uh, sh- uh, shuffle over to the right, hit that one real quick, shuffle over to the left, hit that one. Because when you hit them, they it, it knocks them back a fair amount. So you're kind of juggling them that way um, so that you can kill uh, both of them. I think that's a pretty safe strat. It's probably not the absolute fastest to be taking a step back like that. But if you fail to kill these in the first cycle, they're going to fall asleep and then wake back up and that is very time consuming so it's better to kill them in the first cycle no matter no matter what you got to do to get it done yeah i agree even if you lose a second or two by walking around a little bit or taking a step back it's still better than having one of them fall asleep on you and you have to wait around another five to ten seconds for him to even react to anything again another yeah another thing that's really not fun is trying to hit them from the side they have sort of wonky hitboxes from the side, and it's really easy to blow an arrow right past them. So you don't want to yeah. get in that position. Mm-hmm. One nice thing about having silvers uh, is they only take one hit. So if you've got silver arrows coming into here, it's just a quick one, two, and you should be able to move on. Very true. Okay, so that takes us to the boss of this dungeon, Armos Knight. Uh, we are going to do episodes uh, in the future where we really focus on bosses, but as the guardian of Eastern Palace, we do at least want to talk a little bit about how to dispatch this guy, and it's it's really uh, pretty easy. You know, this is vanilla, the first dungeon, and so it's not meant to be anything too difficult. Uh, one thing I do want to say before you even walk in the room, be sure to check your arrow count and uh, our... our uh, uh, spring 2018 tournament champion Andy could probably tell you a little bit about that. He uh, sort of famously or infamously in one of those final matches forgot to check his arrow count, walked in, and dealing with Armos without uh, enough arrows is pretty time-consuming. Do one of you guys want to talk about how to do damage to Armos? Sure. So um, obviously the best thing to walk in here with is silver arrows because in that case each Armos knight only takes one silver arrow. You only need six arrows. The next best thing you're going to have is regular arrows, and that's going to be, uh, I believe it's three arrows mm-hmm. a, a night. Um, after that, though, things start getting pretty dire. Um, ice and Fire Rod would be next, and I know a lot of people don't think about Ice Rod other than for use on Trinex, but if you have Ice Rod here, this is one of the times you might want to break it out if you've run really low on arrows. Um, same thing with Fire Rod. I myself actually once played a, an entrance rando, where I happened upon Armos Knights, only had uh, the Fire Rod and uh, Boomerang, and actually went to Boomerang, which you don't want to do that because with the Boomerang, <laughs> I believe it's 40 hits in Armos Knight. Oh my gosh. Um, I didn't even know you could damage Armos with Boomerang. Yeah, it, is, it is one damage per Boomerang hit, so... Wow. It takes a while. <laughs> yeah. so, Sorry. So don't Sorry, use man. anything but the Boomerang. Yeah. And so the cool thing about, you know, standard or open or most of the variations is you had to have the arrow to even get here. And the arrow happens to be the fastest way to kill him. I'm pretty sure that was developer intended. They wanted you to use the item that you had just collected in, in the dungeon in vanilla. So it really should never be an issue as long as you make sure you have enough arrows. Obviously, when you start running out, that's when you have to come up with alternate solutions. This one's really not too bad, um, especially if you have silvers. Each one takes one hit, arrows, uh, three hits. Just uh, go ahead and dispatch them. The last one is going to turn red and start jumping at you. Try to be uh, directly south of it. It's going to be a lot easier to hit at that point. Um, do you guys have any other kind of you know quick suggestions for ways to deal with Armos? Um, the only thing I maybe want to mention, because you mentioned the red guy that shows up at the end, one good thing to remember is that even if you've hit the blue guy that he was before twice already, whenever he turns red, he refills all his health. Yeah, that's definitely good to know, too. Um, okay, well, I will say that uh, I, I think that's pretty much everything in terms of getting through Eastern Palace full clear. Let's briefly talk about what's different if you're doing a go mode and, and what what that is kind of defined as. Yeah, so, so go mode Eastern is, frankly, it's pretty rare because it's open without any items. So yeah. the chance that you are in go mode and... Haven't uh, checked haven't, it yet. Yeah, it, yeah. Is low. I have seen it happen though, and when that happens, what you can do is mentally, you know, all you're looking for is that big key, and the big key is guaranteed to be in one, uh, either chest one, the one in the uh, room with the cannonballs, chest two, which is the one that you get 
that you can hook shot to or go the long way by going up. Uh, chest three, which is the one after the room with the staff loads and the glitches, or in the vanilla location, has to be in one of those. So as soon as you pick it up, you just pick it up and run as fast as you can back to Armos Knights. Exactly. So you can't really skip any of the chest locations because you do have to find that big key. So it's really similar to a normal uh, full clear run route. I guess the biggest variation would be if you do happen to find the big key in that first room, you don't need to go to the right any longer. Whereas if you still hadn't found it, you would need to. Um, that's pretty much the biggest difference. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to look the same as if you are doing this and you're going to full clear it, but you, for whatever reason, can do the dark room in the back, but not the dark room in the front. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap this up. Let's consider Eastern Palace finished, uh, vanquished. Uh, last thing, you know, if you did get that green pendant, if that was on Armor's Night, go turn that in and then we'll we'll call this one done. So. Uh, that's going to do it for us on Go Mode Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out again for episode two. As a reminder, you can email us. Our address is email at gomodepodcast.com. You can also check out the website gomodepodcast.com for uh, latest episodes as they're uploaded. Um, and what else? We have a Twitter at gomodepodcast. If you want to tweet at us, uh, we'd, we'd love to uh, hear from you guys. Um, uh, Axial, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so the best way, as usual, is on Twitch, uh, where I am S-A underscore Axial, that is A-X-E-I-L. Um, pretty much I only play Randomizer, or uh, I have been making a bet that uh, in this something awful uh, summer tournament, every time I win, I will play the dreaded Parallel Worlds original version that involves a lot of pain and suffering, and uh, so sometimes I'll be playing that one too, if you uh, see that out there fun herf what about you yeah it's pretty much the same for me uh you can find me on twitch tv slash herfy derfy i generally stream everything but randomizer <laughs> feels weird to say but lately, if you're looking for something a little different that's fine yeah yeah i'm i wouldn't call myself a variety streamer because usually i have like two people watching me at best but i just stream whatever i feel like playing in the current day lately it's been guacamole too uh, I do stream some open seats every now and again because I want to de-rust very badly so I can be ready for the fall tournament. Mm-hmm. Cool. But other than that, yeah. Nice. And uh, I also am on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash temp underscore. Uh, I play Randomizer usually about once a week. Uh, I've been broadcasting all of my uh, SA tournament uh, races, which you have to do. So, yeah, you can usually find me doing that about once a week. Time varies, but, um, yeah, drop in and say hey. So... Uh, I think that is going to do it for us. Uh, are there any more items left in here? I don't think so. Nope, not that I can see. All right. Thanks, guys. Time to mirror out. <laughs>